Welcome to Parsha in Progress. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year. And I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we're two very different Jews talking about the same Torah together. Hello, Dov. Hey, Abby. So we are in Genesis 29, and we're talking about the sisters, Leah and Rachel. Right. The parasha is Vayetze. Thank you, which means? Going to the land, going from the land. He's running away from his brother who wants to kill him for stealing, stealing the birthright. And he comes to, you know, his uh, fa- extended family there, Laban, and he meets his Laban two Laban is his uncle. Yes. And he meets his two wives. He meets his two wives. He doesn't know they're going to be his wives <laughs> <Right>. yet. <laughs> exactly. You're kind of bearing, you're, you're jumping the gun here. Yes. If you were writing a movie, you would have ruined it. <laughs> Maybe we should first set up Rachel and Leah and who they are, right? Mm-hmm. They're sisters, right? and one of them's pretty and one of them's not. It doesn't say Leah isn't pretty. It says that her eyes were soft. We tend to assume she was less pretty. My right? translation says, and Leah's eyes were weak. This is uh, Genesis twenty nine seventeen. But Rachel was of beautiful form and fair to look upon. So by contrast, the implication is that Leah was not. Why are you resisting that contrast? Um, no, I think that that's a correct read. I just don't think it explicitly says that Leah was not attractive, but... I think that's the right read. Basically, what strikes me about this Parsha with these two sisters is that they end up being at war with each other over one man. Right. And it feels like it's showing us the worst kind of takeaway, which is ultimately like the the popular prettier girl wins. Yeah, I I, I think that's totally correct. I also think that they, there's this test about movies, about how, how they're all about men and like about whether women are actually talking for more than it's a few minutes. It's the Bechdel minutes. test. Bechdel test. What is it? If they're talking for more than a few minutes, a woman with a woman and it's not about a man. So I think that our Parsha would totally fail that test, right? Because you actually have a focus on sisters, but it's all about fighting about Jacob and his attention, like as you said. Right. And it's it seems like it's God. We're looking at uh, Genesis 29, 31. And the Lord saw that Leah was hated and he opened her womb, mm. but Rachel was barren. Right. So, it, you know, God has a hand in this. And it, it feels in a sense that on some level, he's helping Leah get a leg up by mm-hmm. saying, you're going to be fertile. Right. And Rachel, with all the advantages of being loved or lovable, right. is going to be cursed exactly. with infertility. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, it speaks not only to the affections of Jacob, but to a woman's worth in that society and a woman's perception of her own worth. You know, this story parallels a, a, another story about Hannah and Pnina, which we read on Rosh Hashanah. Hannah winds up being the mother of Shaul and... And Samuel and Hannah can't give Hannah birth. Was, can't give birth. Penina has many children, and Hannah is distraught. And Elkanah actually says to her, "Don't let not having children, you know, trouble you. Aren't I better for you? Like I totally love you. I'm devoted to you. Aren't I better than many children?" And that doesn't help. She's still totally distraught. Ultimately, it ends with. You know, she does give birth. Praise to God. She gives birth. Her son is Samuel, who's this great prophet. But to me, one of the things it shows is, again, how much having children was prized not only by society. It was self-defining. Self-defining. Like, if I can't have children, what's what my worth I? as a woman? Right. Even if my husband is devoted to me. It struck me reading this in a way it hadn't before, that Leah and Rachel are using fertility as a way to to win, to kind mm-hmm. of, to be victorious in some way. Just to go to this idea again, back that you were saying of like the self-worth, this verse in 31, it says, Rachel envied her sister and she said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. Mm. And I remember H- Hannah had the same desperation. Yeah, There is, I think, almost a sense of your life is tied to being able to give life. Mm. 
Yeah, no, I think that's completely correct. And I think, I don't know how much we've we've escaped that now in society. I mean, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, do you think, how much do you think for, I mean, obviously we can't globalize for, you know, three and a half billion women on the planet, but like, how much do you think that that's still a very central thing for- I think it's pretty central. I mean, I, I do think there are all kinds of ways that women define self-worth that goes beyond mm-hmm. fertility. But I think it it cuts to the core of one's identity to not be able to conceive. Yeah. And I think part of that is is some kind of, you know, maternal drive. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's also there is something extremely powerful of, you know, the, the cycle of, of life to, be, to sort of be denied that mm-hmm. is in, in a way more viscerally difficult than, than people necessarily can appreciate unless they've been there. At my synagogue, Central Synagogue, two years ago, Rabbi Angela Bookdahl asked uh, a congregant to talk about her infertility before the Hannah story was introduced oh, wow. in the reading on Rosh Hashanah. Wow. And it was, you could have heard a pin drop. Right. And it was exactly about this, that that kind of our, all of our Jewish structures and simchas, and you don't realize how geared it is towards family and the, the sort of tumult of many children and, you know, cousins and, and aunts and uncles. Right. And, and that if you're denied that, you're in a way cut out of, of Jewish life. Something we try to sensitize our guys to as rabbis in the field, when some of our students uh, had children and they had a bris, I remember one of them, he and his wife got up and talked about their challenges with infertility and what their path was until they were able to have a child. And another one spoke about it and he said, you know, I want to acknowledge that there are people here who might be struggling to have a child and, you know, we need to surface it much more. You know, I want to turn back to the uh, sister discussion and about how, I think something you mentioned to me once, Abby, which is there doesn't seem to be anything redeeming about these stories. Like this is the one place where we hyper-focus on our foremothers and we actually, one of the one stories about sisters in the Torah. And it's all like this petty rivalry and as you say, like cat fight, seeking attention. And, you know, do we find anything redeeming? Like we have Jacob and Asaph fighting, but then they reconcile, you know, and here, like, is this the image we have of our mothers, um, our foremothers? No, I mean, I I find it um, simplistic in that whoever the authors are, divine or human, that they are really missing the truth Mm -hmm. of what at least I've experienced and witnessed when it comes to a sister's relationship. And it is not you know, a schadenfreude kind of like, I want to beat you. I'm sure that exists. I know it exists, but it isn't the order of the day. And and in some ways, it's not just reductive, it's kind of dehumanizing. It gives them no layers of kind of humanity and character other than this, which is, I want him to sleep with me. Right. I want to <laughs> I want to produce children for him. It's all about sort of pleasing this man and getting this man, not about their relationship, their interaction at all. I mean, they were cast in very difficult situations. They were married to the same man. One was beautiful and loved. The other was fertile. So it was uh, like a recipe for disaster. Um, I'm not sure how any of us would fare in that situation, but it is the one story that we have. The rabbis tell a very powerful story, though, that really balances this, because what we sort of didn't read in the text was Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, but he was tricked the same way he tricked his brother. And Lavan gave him Leah for, you know, and he wound up sleeping with Leah on the wedding night and not Rachel. They slip her in in like the middle of the night or she has a veil or something. So the rabbis say, wait a minute, how did that happen? Like, how did he not know who he was sleeping with? So they tell a story that Jacob anticipated that Lavan would try something like this. And he, and Rachel had like this, these signals, these secret hand signals between them or some type of way of knowing it was all going to be dark. um, And, you know, of knowing that, are you really Rachel? 
And because Rachel was so concerned that her sister would be publicly shamed, you know, you could imagine he kicks her out of the tent. It's a whole big, you know, public scene. She gave her sister the signals so her sister could pretend to be Rachel on the wedding night. So it's that is like shocking if you think about it. Here, they're competing their whole life for their husband's attention and love. But she is allowing her sister to marry Rachel. This man. Is, Rachel and Rachel is doesn't protecting even know. Leah by saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you from humiliation." Right, and I'm willing to give up the man I love. She didn't know that the end of the story was that she was going to get married as well. You know, in the end, that's a very powerful counterbalance. But that's uh, why you need the ra- the rabbis. <laughs> they're, they're always try, trying to to the, to correct behavior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Rachel is the one that you know weeps for her children who are in exile, who cares not just for her children but for all of the Jewish people. So it, maybe it ties back to the Rivka story, you know, that sense of generosity and generosity of spirit. So I guess there are times we're caught in circumstances that the worst part of our character comes out. But I think there's it could be very redeeming, you know, and very powerful. I would just also character. like to talk about the word unloved. I mean, I don't know what that is in the Hebrew, but it's such a powerful... Hebrew is harsher. The Hebrew is hated. Really? Yeah. So that just the idea of people who feel mm, unloved. Unloved. And just how, uh, not just isolating, but kind of desperate right. that that condition is. And they'll do anything to, right, to get attention and to try to reconcile or fix the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that they were both caught in like an impossible situation. And maybe that can sort of allow us a more sympathetic read of what's going on. Shabbat shalom, Dov. Shabbat shalom, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Abigail Pogrebin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. The show is produced by Shira Telushkin and executive produced by Josh Cross and Tablet Magazine. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'd be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps more people find us. You can also write or fetch to us at this email, Parsha in Progress at tabletmag.com. Thanks for listening.